only at the Indianapolis Zoo. If we look at all of the populations of orangutans in the wild, we know that they're all endangered, some are critically endangered, and unless something changes, we're looking at the end of orangutans in Borneo and Sumatra. You can hear it in his voice, Dr. Rob Shoemaker's love for great apes, the biologist whose passion for primates led to an orangutan center like no other, right in the heart of Indiana, all part of the zoo's bigger mission to serve as a global leader in animal conservation. What does it take to protect the delicate balance of the wildest places on our planet? It takes strength. It takes sacrifice. It takes heroes. The Indianapolis Prize honors these heroes and their extraordinary contributions to conservation. One of the world's most prestigious conservation awards, a prize worth a quarter of a million dollars. One of the many projects Rob Shoemaker shepherds as the leader of the Indianapolis Zoo. He's my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 98 of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. One of Rob Shoemaker's first challenges when he started at the Indianapolis Zoo in 2010, bring a transformational exhibit to life. The $26 million Simon Scott International Orangutan Center. He did, and it's been a big hit at the zoo since opening in 2014. Shoemaker took over as CEO in January 2020, right before the pandemic took hold, and he already has big plans for what's next. His love for primates coming into play as the zoo is building a chimpanzee exhibit that will span two-thirds of the property, plus a new welcome center complete with animal ambassadors like sloths, birds, and snakes, all part of the Indianapolis Zoo's $53 million capital campaign, the largest in its 58-year history. And it gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome the uh, president and CEO of the Indianapolis Zoo, Rob Shoemaker. And Rob, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. How are you? Oh, I'm very well. Thank you so much, Gary. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah. You know, as I was preparing for the the, the podcast, I thought to myself, you know, typically I would imagine that, you know, spring and summer are are busy times uh, for a zoo. And I'm sure that's the case here, but is there really ever a non-busy time uh, at the zoo these days? Wow, it's such a great question because so many people assume that that we just kind of relax and kick back during the winter and and uh, things kind of pick up in, in June. Uh, we are busy every single month of the year. It is true that we have fewer visitors in January and February, for example, but that is some of the time that is most busy for us that, that work here because we're preparing for the busier times of the year. So every single month of the year is extremely busy and fast paced here. That's how I like it. Uh, I think it's a, a sign of a, a healthy organization. Um, but thank you for helping uh, correct that that misperception <laughs> that so many people have. Yeah. And, and you know, the zoo, I think uh, so much is about tradition and family traditions. And one of those would be Christmas at the zoo, right? So that that is certainly a staple that uh, has long been a real neat event here in Indianapolis. 
Wow, you hit the nail on the head. We were the first zoo in the United States, and we can be very proud of this, first zoo in the United States to do a, a Christmas light spectacular, like we continue now all these decades later. It is absolutely a family tradition here in Indianapolis and, and beyond Indianapolis, and we see that. We, it is a huge number of members that come for Christmas at the zoo every single year. And December is one of our biggest months for visitation, just like October, with all the kids that come for Halloween events associated with the zoo. So uh, just like June and July are, are huge months for us in terms of visitation, the same is true for October and December. So our year is, is really spread uh, right across all of the seasons. Yeah, that's amazing. I did not know uh, Indy was the first zoo uh, to do a Christmas display. That, that is really, that is really something. Are things getting back to normal post-pandemic? Uh, obviously, the pandemic uh, took its toll on, on everyone and every kind of organization. How about at the zoo? Well, when we came out of 2020, and of course, we were impacted like everyone else. We were closed for a full 12 weeks. We came roaring back in 2021. And I said routinely to folks, you know, I don't think there's ever going to be another 2020, and I think there's never going to be another 2021. <laughs> um, and I was wrong. 2022 has been just as strong a year for us uh, as 2021. And wow. we're finding that with a number of our colleagues around the country, our Azuna Aquarium colleagues. I think what has happened, and I think there's there's been a, a, a genuine change, and I think it's measurable. Post-pandemic, people have, have started to focus on the things that are most important to them and their families, and the things that make them feel the best, and the things they value the most, and zoos and aquariums are one of those. So as a, as a profession, I think we can be very, very proud of that, that we are stronger in Indianapolis, certainly. We are stronger coming out of the pandemic than going into it. I, I can say that I'm, I'm very pleased we uh, are, are fully financially recovered from the impact of, of 2020, but I'm so gratified and so heartened by the tremendous enthusiasm that our community has for us. And again, it, it's, it's going to be um, another huge year for us in terms of uh, attendance and revenue and enthusiasm from the community. That That is really interesting to me. And especially when I think about doing a little research for a conversation, and I looked at the, the performance, the financial performance of the zoo over the past two decades, and some amazing numbers since 2002, uh, revenues up 240%, huge increase in the endowment. Uh, and I think you just touched on it there, but but why is that happening? I mean, those those are incredible numbers. Then to not only survive but thrive post pandemic, I think that's uh, that's pretty amazing. Well, thank you for that, and 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 of course I agree with you. I, I can say that I think there's multiple reasons, but but let let me give a couple. One, my predecessor Mike Crowther was of, of course very focused on the financial health and stability of the zoo. And during his tenure, he did a tremendous job moving us in that direction, growing the endowment, increasing visitation, elevating the zoo in a whole variety of ways. 
on site, but also tremendous initiatives like the Indianapolis Prize. I became president and CEO uh, January 1st of 2020. And I share that, that same desire to make sure the zoo is extraordinarily uh, thoughtful in how we manage our finances, that we are financially sound and financially healthy. And it's been a very deliberate effort to grow our endowment, um, make sure our operating reserves are very, very healthy um, and focus on our financial strength. And, and I'm sure that, that this is familiar to you, but a lot of people are not aware, of course, um, we are the largest accredited zoo in the United States that does not receive tax support or municipal support. Many, many, many zoos receive funding from the, the city, the county, the state, and so on. We are the largest that does not. So we have to be thoughtful about that. We have to be entrepreneurial uh, and we have to be very, very business minded. So that trajectory you mentioned is quite accurate. And I'm glad that you did bring it up, but it's it's very purposeful on our part. And thankfully, we have tremendous support from the Indianapolis community. Yeah. And I know it's an ongoing effort to uh, to keep those finances in shape. And as we tape this conversation, you have just uh, announced, at least publicly, uh, the largest fundraising campaign in the zoo's history. A big number, $53 million, 60 plus percent, I think, has already been uh, raised. And as you look at what what these dollars will be going to or are, are going to, would it be accurate to say it's it's you know, transformational projects for the, for the zoo. I mean, these are these are big time projects. Yeah, everything you said is totally accurate, Gary. So we made that public announcement on December first, uh, and and boy, I'm proud of of where we're moving. There are three big projects associated with this fifty three million dollar campaign, and you're right, transformational is the very best word I can think of. I'm glad you used it. And the first which I, I, I think is was well overdue. We needed uh, a new entrance for our visitors. We needed a way for, for people to come and know they had arrived at the zoo. We want to elevate that experience, give people a, a transition space as they come into the zoo. That is underway. It will be absolutely spectacular. And that will open May of 2023. The second big project consistent with our mission statement, of course, all of this is consistent with our mission statement, but the second big piece is an entire new department here at the zoo focused on global conservation of uh, nature. And that's animals, plants, and fungi. And the, the important thing to mention is this, this new department is a one of a kind. It's new for us uh, and it is new for us in terms of it being a collaboration that's very outward facing. We are working with IUCN, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, it's the world's largest and most influential conservation organization spread around every country in the world. And we have partnered together to advance uh, the protection of biodiversity around the globe. That initiative is has hit the ground running. And I'm, I'm just so pleased and so proud uh, for the work that we are engaged in and this new department of of 10, sorry, 11, uh, who are uh, doing that work. And then the last big piece for us that's very, very guest facing. Um, and, and, I, and I say not, not very humbly, but I think it's true. 
Uh, we are building what will be the very best chimpanzee facility at a zoo anywhere in the world. We will have a spectacular community of chimpanzees. We're building to accommodate a community of about 30 individuals, 30 adults. Um, that is uh, under construction now. We'll receive all of those apes or the rest of those apes very late in 2023, and that will open to visitors in May of 2024. Well, and that's going to be, I mean, in terms of size, impact certainly, but in terms of physical size, it's going to be a big, a big piece of the zoo, right? You are absolutely correct. Whenever a, a zoo builds a new major facility like this, and, and by the way, the last brand new chimpanzee facility to be built in the United States at a zoo was over 20 years ago. Wow. Um, I, I think we have an obligation to, to really focus on innovation and elevating what we do. And so we've taken an entirely new approach. We are not building the typical one building with a big room indoor and one outdoor yard connected to that. Consistent with how chimpanzees behave in the wild, we are building multiple locations around the zoo, all connected with uh, a trail system for this community of, of great apes. So it, it, it will span about two thirds of our footprint here at the zoo and uh, give the apes multiple indoor, multiple outdoor locations, and they can decide where they go when they want to go and who they want to go with and do what they choose to do. So that is that is going to be um, new and interesting for our guests, but I think incredibly welcome and people will greet it with great enthusiasm once they can experience it. Yeah, you know, as you talk about that, I, I think back, I've been around long enough to uh, been there when the zoo was created there at White River State Park and, and launched and and the, the incredible growth of the zoo physically and in terms of exhibits. But you mentioned something that I think is important and I think sometimes is lost on a lot of people. And you mentioned animal conservation and how the Indianapolis Zoo has become this, and you tell me, to me, a global leader when it comes to animal conservation, the Indianapolis Prize that you mentioned, uh, a perfect example, $250,000 to a person who uh, achieves victories in animal conservation. How does a zoo in the Midwest, uh, you know, uh, in, in a, I'll call a mid-sized market, I don't know, but not, you know, one of the quote-unquote high-profile places, become such a leader, such an innovator, and such a driver when it comes to conservation? Well, I have to, first of all, thank you for, well, for your kind thoughts, and and I would say I I do agree with you. We are. I don't think it's an opinion. I think we can demonstrate the fact that that we have local, regional, national, and international reach when it comes to our conservation efforts. And you know, we really do that in several ways. I just mentioned this whole new department as part of our uh, capital campaign, the Global Center for Species Survival. That, that is the next evolution in terms of what we're doing. But specifically, the Indianapolis Prize is a great example of how we fund people who are doing good quality work around the globe. Um, we are approaching um, 20 years of the Indianapolis Prize. However, the cycle each cycle lasts two years. So it is approaching the 10th cycle now. And you say it very correctly. We, we aren't funding an organization. We aren't recognizing a, a anything but a single individual who is making an extraordinary contribution to animal conservation. 
and and again that was very intentional because we we do a great job celebrating sports heroes and entertainment heroes and and you you name it but we, we don't do enough for conservation heroes and we need to elevate those folks and that's exactly what the indianapolis prize does we elevate them we give them a platform every single one of them says that they have benefited tremendously by having that megaphone uh, of winning the indianapolis prize I, I would add that there's a, a, a very important component to that that is new this cycle. Will be, it'll be in September of 23. We've added an additional an additional award now, and that's uh, a prize for the emerging conservationist. So we we are identifying and recognizing people who have made tremendous progress in their careers. But we want to capture people who are early in their careers uh, and make sure they stay in the field and continue doing that kind of extraordinary work. So the inaugural Emerging Conservationist Award will be this September and soon over the next few months, we'll be announcing um, the winner of both of those awards, both the Emerging Conservationist and the Indianapolis Prize. But it, it is really all consistent with our mission. We protect nature and inspire people to care for our world. And uh, the Indianapolis Prize is absolutely dead center at the heart of that. Do you think it also helps people under, better understand the role of, of, of zoos? You know, cool animals, fun things to go look at and see and, and experience. But at the heart of, of, of your mission is that conservation, that species survival role, if you will. Absolutely. And, and, you know, just like every major profession, you name it, ed education, medicine, whatever, zoos have gone through uh, an evolution in their history as well. I mean, zoos around the world are hundreds of years old, a very long history here in the United States. And it's fair to say that historically, zoos were consumers of wildlife. Uh, th this is thankfully history now but you know we brought animals in out of the wild and displayed them and so on and that's just the way it was run probably consistent with some of the other types of entertainment at the time like circuses and so on but that's history that's decades ago we are no longer consumers of wildlife it's the opposite our job is is to keep wild animals protected and thriving in the wild and to have self-sustaining populations in extraordinarily well-managed zoos that inspire people to care more about the animals they're seeing at the zoo, but also uh, conserving them uh, in their wild homes. Much more with Rob Shoemaker when we return. I'll talk about uh, growing up in Washington, D.C., how he got to Indianapolis, and what's next at the zoo as well. That's when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. 
Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc., all rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, Rob Shoemaker, the CEO and the president at the Indianapolis Zoo, one of our city, one of our state's uh, really tremendous assets and a huge attractor of visitors uh, from all over the state and beyond as well. Uh, Rob, you've been in Indiana now for, uh, what, a dozen years or so? Uh, starting my 14th year in, in just a couple months. Okay. Home, uh, at least initially, Washington, D.C., right? You grew up there. Is that where you spent most of your childhood? I, I did all of my childhood. I, I was born right in Washington, D.C. and lived, let's see if I think through it. Yes, still lived most of my life there uh, <laughs> and uh, started my career at the Smithsonian. Uh, worked The National Zoo is, is part of the Smithsonian Museum System. And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I was there for 20 years and simultaneously uh, doing my undergraduate, my master's, my Ph.D. at George Mason University in mm-hmm. uh, Fairfax, Virginia. Yeah. So um, D.C. was, a, 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 of course, a, a phenomenal city and a wonderful place to grow up and had all kinds of opportunities and benefits. And um, I, I uh, had the opportunity and, and was recruited to make a move to Des Moines, Iowa and moved to Des Moines, Iowa for seven years, my wife and I and our young son at the time, and our daughter was born there, um, for a wonderful professional opportunity in in Des Moines, and we loved living there. And then the opportunity um, to come to Indianapolis came up. I'd been doing some consulting for the zoo while I was in Des Moines, and I was recruited to come here and uh, very happily did that. And And I like to say that, at least from my perspective, Indianapolis is the, the the perfect blend for me and my family because it has um, a, a national and international perspective, just just like we had in D.C., but literally a hometown feel like Des Moines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's the best of both worlds for us. And um, I've adopted this phrase now: we are Hoosiers by choice, mm-hmm. uh, and we uh, and we love it, and we feel awfully fortunate to be here. And boy, this city's been good to me and my family. Yeah, and it's great to have you here. Uh, as well, as you look uh, or think back on accepting the job to come here, and I think your your previous answer there kind of explains part of that. But what really attracted you professionally as you looked at the zoo back then, the Indianapolis Zoo? What what made it an attractive offer? You know, that's a very uh, I can give you a very very clear answer to that because um, the the person that recruited me at the time was my colleague Paul Grayson, who has since retired, who made a phenomenal contribution to the zoo here. And he said one thing to me that that struck me uh, right to the core because it was so central to my own beliefs. And that is that the Indianapolis Zoo is not trying to be everything to everybody. We want to focus on a smaller number of things and do them extraordinarily well. And and I uh, that's exactly how I think zoos should operate. I think that's the the future for zoos. Frankly, is to do less and do it better. And that was the the mantra that I came here with, and it already existed. And I was able to fully fully embrace that while I was here. Uh, of course, the other thing is the potential was extraordinary. The zoo was in growth mode, um, and I was very very excited for that. So the. It, it was an irresistible combination for me. Yeah, you, you've made prior to taking the top spot there. You, you certainly made your mark uh, at the Indianapolis Zoo in a number of areas, in particular the orangutan 
uh, center there that has has been such uh, an amazing addition. That's your your passion, right? Apes has your really been your focus focus area. It is my as I mentioned, I've kind of blended the my professional experience and academic experience. And on the academic side, um, I focused largely on primates and specifically great apes. Certainly at an important pivotal time in my career. So. I would say that my my focus and my dedication is to every animal at the zoo, of course, but in terms of my personal experience, I have more personal experience with great apes than any of the other species that we have here at the zoo. That's true. Yeah, in putting together an investment, uh, obviously, but but something like the orangutan and what will be the chimpanzee uh, uh, investment as well. That's got to be a huge undertaking, you know, financially, but also from a business you know, standpoint, thinking through how, how that takes shapes, what the demand will be. You know, you want to make sure it's something that people, you know, there's demand for people want to go there. What the orangutan exhibit and it got a lot of great uh, certainly publicity and those types of things when it opened. What goes into putting together a successful uh, venture like that? Boy, it's a great question. And and I would say that I've been very fortunate in my career to, to be involved in, in several projects that required a real leap of faith. And so the first thing that I would say is you have to have an appetite for innovation and you, you have to be willing to take some risks. Our orangutan center here is unlike any other that exists in the United States. And I'm very proud of that. Uh, and that was very intentional. And I think that's part of what makes it great. And if you have that that desire uh, for growth, me- meaning philosophically, you want to do something better than has been done before, then you go out and find a way to do it. And you're willing to take that risk. Now, prior to coming to Indianapolis, I was lucky to work uh, at institutions where the leaders of those institutions were, were willing to take some risk. That is the same here. We were willing to take some risk with the Orangutan Center. And, and ultimately, when that opened in 2014, ultimately that put our zoo on a new plateau. And, mm-hmm. and that, that has been sustained. We did not slide backwards to our previous levels of attendance and revenue and so on which is commonly what you expect at a lot of institutions when you open a new exhibit, you get a little peak and then you slide backwards. That didn't happen for us. That moved us to an entirely new level. I anticipate that same thing is going to happen when we open our chimpanzee facility. And I will add one thing to that. And this shows, shows uh, I'm not objective. Let, let me put it this way. Uh, <laughs> when we talk about great apes, orangutans, chimpanzees, um, the others are, are gorillas and bonobos. They have an, an appeal and a magnetism that is undeniable for, for people. And for some people, it's, it's very magnetic. It's encouraging. They, they can't help themselves. They're enthralled. For other people, it's a little bit destabilizing. They're not used to looking at something that's a non-human that looks back at them with confidence and intensity. Uh, and certainly great apes do that. Uh, so whether people approach great apes with fascination and, and, and interest and desire or a, a little bit of uncomfortableness, it's still all fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I've never met anyone who, who is not fascinated 
by great apes. So I, I fully expect that we will continue on that trajectory with chimpanzees and it will even be at a greater level because they're so dramatically different than orangutans. Orangutans are much more uh, subtle and contemplative and considerate in, in everything that they do. Chimpanzees are, are a lot more like fireworks. They're uh, <laughs> just exciting and explosive and dynamic and hard to miss. And yeah. it, it's going to really add something unbelievable uh, yeah. to our zoo and our city. Yeah. You mentioned risk, the need for risk taking. And uh, as I think back, and you mentioned earlier, your predecessor, Michael Crowder, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, and uh, he did such a great job with the zoo. What role uh, did Michael play in your your development? And as as I understand it, there was kind of a turning point. You didn't necessarily aspire to be a CEO, but you had a conversation with Michael, and he he was interested in thinking that you might be the the next guy for the zoo. To talk about that. Well, er- everything you said is true. I I didn't come here with that aspiration. Um, I, I, it just it, I wasn't. It, it, I wasn't opposed to it either. It just never occurred to me. I had a I had a conversation with a good colleague in town recently, a good friend, a good colleague, and he was asking me about that. And I said, you know, I uh, at least for me, I've always been intensely focused on whatever job I have, and I'm trying to do trying to be excellent in that role and that job. And um, uh, I haven't ever done a good job of of looking up and looking forward. I'm very focused on what I'm doing. But I've had a lot of great opportunities and a lot of good fortune where somebody will come tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, we're thinking about X. Are you interested? That's what happened with Mike. So he asked me if I was interested in aspiring to that role. And, and again, it was not a promise, but it was, would you be interested? And, and I said, well, I hadn't thought about it, but yes. And that was a number of years ago. And so that, that put us on a trajectory and it involved a, a considerable amount of development for me because I'd been very focused on the academic side and very focused on the animal side. And, um, not so focused, very honestly, not so focused on the business side. That wasn't part of the jobs I'd had in the past. So I spent a number of years uh, immersing myself in the areas where I was not as strong as I needed to be. Uh, was very fortunate to to take um, uh, an executive leadership uh, development course through our accrediting organization, AZA. That that lasted a that was a, a full year, uh, an extraordinary opportunity. And of course, I, I had the guidance and mentorship of, of Mike, my predecessor, uh, various board members here. I don't think they would mind me saying one, one of the best was Jeff Harrison. What a tremendous man and tremendous friend and, and board chair for us. Um, uh, I, I can never thank him enough for everything he's done for me. I can never thank Mike enough for everything he's done for me. And and our current board chair, Devin Anderson, same thing. I, I can never thank those those generous men for everything they've done um, to help me as I've as I've moved along here. But you know, the number of people that that I could thank is uh, far too many to list here, except to say it was a process and. Um, I won't say it was always comfortable because part of that process is identifying your own weaknesses and figuring out how to fix those. And, and that continues. I've, I've, I've got, I've got plenty of things I need, I need to always work on and do better at, but um, I feel very, very fortunate 
um, to be in the role I'm in and uh, extraordinarily proud of this organization and the people that work here. It's a, it, it, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful place to work. I feel happy to be here every day and excited um, to get up and come to work every day. And I'm just immensely appreciative to the support we have from, uh, from the city and beyond. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Jeff Harrison and uh, Devin Anderson and and others on your board, and it made me think. And I don't know if you can or, or want to 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 answer, but it, you know, the public-private partnership that exists in Indianapolis and has for for a number of decades. Is there something special here in Indianapolis when you look at the business community, uh, political leadership, both sides of the aisle? You certainly there's there's some uh, you know conflict that that occurs. In political circles, uh, to be sure, but over and over in Indianapolis, when something needs to get done, there seems to be that coming together and uh, folks stepping up and, and do it. Do you think it's unique here to, to other places? Ha- having lived most of my life in D.C., I can tell you it's very different than D.C. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, that's for sure. I think it I think it is a, a, a unique quality and I love it here. We've we've been um, uh, so supported, for example, with. Uh, Mayor Hogsett and and uh, Governor Holcomb, uh, obviously both sides of the aisle there, but both of them see the value and help us tremendously. Both both incredibly supportive of what we do here, and you know I think of all of the folks in the business community who um, are so generous with with us, both in in terms of their support and their advice and. You know, I, I heard something recently that about nonprofits, which of course we are, and the idea is you want people who who are going to, especially board members, but you want people who are going to create great policy for your organization, give money, get money, and advocate for you. Yeah, those those are the people who are uh, just uh, the, the people you mentioned are. are are doing all of that for us. And, and there's just an enormous list. I, I, I can, I can tell you mentioned our capital campaign. I think of folks like um, Murta Pulliam, incredibly generous to us. What an advocate, what a resource, um, what a pleasure to interact with her. Gosh, Debbie Simon's been an incredible supporter of the zoo. Uh, Elaine Beadle, someone I know, you know, very well, boy, Eric and Elaine Beadle have been incredible to us. And then, and then a whole new generation of folks that are incredible. Stan and Allison Chen is, is, is another, another great example. And the list goes on and on and on. And then we get folks like the Indianapolis Colts and Jim Irsay, who just stepped up and decided, boy, I want to support what the zoo's doing. You guys are doing great things. I think it's exactly what you talked about. We've got these tremendous business leaders. We've got these incredible civic leaders. And, and then folks like, you know, Indianapolis Colts stepping up. But we just couldn't be more thankful and, and, and more fortunate to have this kind of environment. Yeah. I want to look to the future uh, a bit. Elanco uh, Animal Health, second largest uh, animal health company in the, in the world, putting a globe, their global campus uh, there at the old GM stamping plant uh, right uh, in your neck of the woods, right across the street, kind of. How is that going to change? Because I, I think it will have tremendous impact, obviously, for Lanco, but I think for the city, extending Indianapolis downtown across the White River, serving as a as a magnet for talent for Lanco, and I think for other companies. How is the shape uh, and, and vibe, if you will, of White River State Park as it, it exists today going to change? Um, well, you know, you mentioned Alanco and their construction, and, and I will go off on a little side note here for a second. 
about a week ago, I was at the very top of the new climbing structure we're building for this new chimpanzee facility. And uh, when the chimpanzees sit up there, they'll be able to watch the people come and go out of the Alanco headquarters. <laughs> that's cool. Because <laughs> I was looking at their construction site while I was sitting up there. So uh, that that's going to be quite great. Um, you, you know, I'll tell you, gosh, the entire time I've, I've been here at the zoo, that 100 or so acres just to the south of us was was just empty mm -hmm. and what an unbelievable opportunity for the city i, I mean I, i've heard we've all heard it so many times none of us can think of a major city that has a hundred acres in the downtown that's yep. blank yep. Um, so the fact that that is being redeveloped with with Alanco as such an incredible anchor organization there, we we've met several times and talked and and they're just such great neighbors and colleagues. We look forward to having them there full time um, as their construction proceeds. Of course, you know what we're going to find now clearly by intention and design, and I welcome it. We will expand the perimeter of the city. Um, the city now will continue to move out and those boundaries will be explored. It's all walkable. Mm -hmm. we're, yeah. we're a five to 10 minute walk to the center of downtown from, from the edge of the zoo and from the edge of the, that area where Alanco is developing. We will have tremendous connections in every direction for pedestrians, for cars, for bikes, for scooters, you name it. And I look forward to it. I think it will be dynamic and just a, a, a tremendous boon for uh, the, the city overall and exactly what we need as the city now uh, has its its next era coming out of the pandemic. Yeah. Hey, hey well, as you look 10 years, 10, 15 years into the future, describe your vision of what the Indianapolis Zoo, given all the things we've talked about, the additions that are already underway, uh, the, the developments there in the, the neighborhood, so to speak, what do you envision uh, the experience being like for folks who visit the, do, uh, the zoo 10 to 15 years from now? 10 to 15 years from now, my my assumption is that most people are not, gonna, I mean, a practical thing. I think most people are not going to be driving to the zoo themselves and parking a car. I, I think we'll see all different forms of transportation as people get here, which is helpful to us because, as you know, we're landlocked. Yep. So the only way we can continue to grow is growing into our fairly large parking lot. And, and we look forward to that. We look forward to adding more opportunities and more exhibits. Um, I think what, what we'll see, and I'll answer this in two ways. I, I, I think what we'll see for the zoo 10 years, 15 years down the road, we will get more and more specialized in certain species. African elephants are a great example. We are tremendously committed to African elephants and, and that commitment will never change. It will only grow. Um, and so I, I think that's what we can expect, more and more growth in those areas where we have a really significant commitment, better and better guest experience, and more and more year-round appeal for people to be at the zoo. Now that's the on-site here. For the zoo itself, the thing that's absolutely clear is we will continue to grow in our role in terms of promoting international conservation and doing international conservation. Um, there's never been a time when the natural world is under as much threat as it's under now. Uh, and we're working very, very hard to adjust that and correct that. And we need lots and lots of people to care more than they care today. Um, and so our role as an advocate and also as a doer 
to get that work done um, is only going to grow and get magnified over time. Well, Rob, it's been a real treat to, to have you on the podcast. Can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time to join me. And uh, and thank you, too, for your leadership. We're so fortunate to have leaders like you uh, leading a great institution uh, like the Indianapolis Zoo. So thanks. I hope to see you soon. That's just tremendously thoughtful and generous. I appreciate that very much coming from you. Thank you so much. You bet. Rob Shoemaker, the president and CEO of the Indianapolis uh, Zoo, my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.